It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Eric tried this a couple of days ago, and we're like, okay, well, we got to rework this. (laughs) We're going to try this again. And so... Uh, we, are, we are attempting to start what we're calling uh, the Daily Thunder Forecast. Uh, we were trying to come up with a cheesy name, you know, because, you know, in the off season where we have, where we're not in a series and we just kind of have a few episodes a week or, you know, one episode a week, uh, we've been calling it these scattered thunderstorms because it's not Daily Thunder. We, we, when we first started Daily Thunder, which I think has been, what, three or four years ago, uh, we're like, hey, this is going to be daily, and we, we did it seven days a week, which, is, which was fun. Uh, though on some of the days, I think Eric has mentioned this, uh, some of the days it was just Eric and I in the room. Uh, and Eric would be teaching, and I would be in the back doing the, the tech stuff. And there's a few days where I was teaching and no one showed up. And so I would start the tech, run up, teach, run back to the tech. I mean, it was just this delightfully uh, goofy thing. Uh, and then... I think it was, what, probably a year or two ago, we switched it towards, okay, Daily Thunder means Monday through Friday, because <laughs> that's practically easier for us. And then we had these seasons where either we're on vacation or we're in between these bigger series, and we're like, well, that's not Daily Thunder, so what do you, what do you call that? And so we started calling those the scattered thunderstorms, <laughs> which I really like that a lot. <clears throat> anyway, we, we were in a meeting saying, well, <clears throat> one of the things... <coughs> Excuse me. One of the things that we have had a trouble doing is informing our broad base, our, our audience, those who listen to Daily Thunder, just what is going on. And obviously, we drop hints once in a while, like, hey, we're in the middle of a semester. Okay, let's just get into the Daily Thunder. But we've been trying to think, like, okay, be really helpful because there's a lot of stuff going on in our world and kind of connected ministries and, and all this kind of stuff that would actually be really helpful for people to know. And so we just said, okay, well, what if we just added something in the beginning where we can articulate just once or twice a week just some of the, the fun things that are happening in our world? And so we were trying to come up with a cheesy name, <clears throat> and it's like, well, Daily Thunder, it's weather stuff, what, 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 like forecasting. This is like our forecast. We, we almost need a green screen. Wouldn't that be cool <laughs> if we had a green screen, and then we could have some sort of a cool digital thing, and then we could do that thing where you're like, that... Thing, you know, where you're like looking at the monitor over here because you can't, it's green, you can't see anything. And so you're just kind of like, and the, or whatever. <laughs> that looks like interpretive dance. But anyway, uh, you know, whatever it is that they do. <clears throat> so all that to say, we, we are attempting to try uh, this idea of a weekly forecast of just giving an update of what's happening. So the thought is, I think Eric's going to try this on Friday, but then moving forward on Mondays and Thursdays, Eric will take a Monday forecast, and then I will take like the end of the week wrap-up forecast. We'll, we'll try it. This may not last long, uh, but we just thought it'd be kind of fun. And so for those who are listening, you guys obviously already know this, who are here, uh, but for those who are listening, we're, we're coming to the end of a semester, which is deeply sad. In fact, not just the end of a semester, we're coming to the end of a whole training season that we started in... The, basically with a Set Apart Girl conference uh, at the end of May, early June, and has kind of gone to this point. And there's something interesting. We, we've, we've purposely packaged the training season this year in such a way so that we can get to our upcoming remodel. And so 
and, and my guess is Eric probably in the next one is going to talk more about the remodel, but we're, we're entering into a remodel season where we're, God willing, going to be improving the entire campus. Praise the Lord. Because <laughs> after 12 years, there are certain things that desperately need to be improved. Uh, like certain things are falling off the sides of buildings and the dorm rooms, <clears throat> uh, you know, if you've ever been in our old dorms, our dorms are a lot nicer than they've ever been before. The guys now needs to be improved, the guys' dorm uh, that are in the old girls' dorm. But, you know, we're, we're solely improving the dorms and we're, we're going to work on an actual having a kitchen for the first time in Ellerslie history. Could you imagine a college campus finally having a kitchen? I mean, what, what is that? Our kitchen team, I mean, the food here is amazing. What could they do if they had a kitchen? I mean, man, we might get cookies or something. And so, man, because, you know, without an oven, it's, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to keep those out in the sun long enough to cook. So, uh, so there, there's some great things coming up. But um, what I just want to just mention in terms of a forecast is, one, uh, we're coming down to the end of the season. So if you're listening or watching uh, online <clears throat> or listening to the podcast, uh, can I just encourage you to be praying for the whole group of students? I would encourage this for you guys too. But be, be praying for those who have come through the semesters this season. Because in the transition home, it's, we don't want this just to be an academic, intellectual thing. We want this to be the reality of Christianity. That when you begin to discover the truths, the, the tool belt, as we often call it, of how Christianity actually works, it's not just theory. We want this to be the practical living of every single day of your life, and for you to walk in victory and triumph and, and hope and joy and peace. And that is available to us as believers. And so if I can encourage y'all who are here, don't just be praying for each other. Be praying for those who have been going through this, this, these programs this summer. And then for those who have never been here, be praying for our students. And maybe consider joining us next year because we just launched or we just put online our new dates for next year's training season, which we're going to start in June and go through part of the fall. And so if you're interested in our five-week or one-week, and if you guys want to come back for another one of these, and we also have the Alumni Summit coming up. We have a lot of fun stuff coming uh, with the girls' conference and whatnot. Uh, so just know that, one, be praying for the students. Be praying for our remodel season because we're, we're going to need it. Man, we need Jesus. <clears throat> and then uh, consider this idea of what would it look like to participate at some level next year, whether it's for you guys for the Alumni Summit because you've already gone through the program or whether it's someone who's never been, for them to come through a semester or come to one of the women's conferences or something of that sort. I think it'd just be a delightful way to uh, press into Jesus afresh and to really grow in our, in our spiritual lives. Sound good? Love that. Well, let's jump into Exodus 34. How in my series, uh, we're kind of coming down to the wire. We just have this one and then three other episodes in this particular series called Soul Drift. And <clears throat> we kind of been walking through the last several weeks in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And just kind of looking at these last four opportunities to talk through this idea, what I want to do is kind of hit a variety of topics or concepts in relationship to this idea of soul drift and idolatry and adultery and uh, idols and altars and all that kind of stuff. And what I really like to do is focus on this rather odd concept of jealousy. Uh, we are told in Scripture that God is a jealous God. And that sounds really awkward. 
until you actually discover what Scripture says about it, and it becomes incredibly beautiful. It is so profound to me. And uh, Dan McConaughey really helped me with this. Uh, several years ago, he was wrestling with that idea of what, is it, what does it mean for God to be jealous? And so he just did a whole bunch of study, and then he's, he's kind of, for our, some of our students, he's walked through this concept in the past in some of our semesters. And so it really got me thinking, and I'm using some of, his, some of the concepts that he helped flesh out, <clears throat> but it really helps in light of this idea of, of idolatry. And so let's just kind of walk through a concept, and we'll kind of meander that direction. What you see in Exodus is God gives Moses the law in Exodus chapter 20. And of course, you know the story, Moses comes down from the mountain, and as he comes down from the mountain, here is Israel who creates a golden calf. Not a great way of starting this idea of covenant and the law. And so Moses breaks the commandments, right? He throws them down. And what you see is that there is this, you know, 3,000 people die in this, in this plague thing. And, and the giving of the law actually doesn't start off well. And so what you see in, in chapter 32 is the golden calf. In chapter, and these are just broad summary statements of the chapters. But in chapter 33, Moses intercedes for Israel and says, please, God, don't be angry. Please don't, don't wipe them off the face of the earth kind of stuff. In, in chapter 34, God comes to Moses and says, hey, look, I, I want you to cut out these new tablets of stone. I want you to come back up on the mountain, and we're going to do this again. And so I'm kind of jumping into the middle of this, and I, and I want you to hear, this is right after the golden calf scene, which, again, we did talk about a little bit in the 1 Corinthians 10 thing uh, as we were walking through that the last few weeks. But li listen to what God says to Moses in the middle of this. This is coming, again, right out of the golden calf incident. In chapter 34, it says that the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Again, it's that word hesed and truth. Who keeps hesed for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He said... This is Moses speaking. If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though these people are obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. Do you hear what God is saying? Do you hear what Moses is saying? Here are the people of Israel, and they have rebelled. And God says, but do you know what my nature is? Though you have rebelled, and though you have sinned, I am a good God. I am slow to anger. I am compassionate. I am full of mercy and loving kindness. That hesed idea that though you don't deserve it, I am willing to give you everything that you need. God says, that's my nature. And so Moses says, oh God, would you not, would you just pardon? I, I know the people are rebellious. I, I know that they are stubborn. But Lord, would you just, would you, would you not, would you just forgive? Will you, according to your nature, do the very thing that your nature wants to do? And would you forgive us, and would you take us as your own possession? Would you have us? Uh, a few verses later, in verses, uh, verse 12 through 15, it says this. God, again, is speaking, and he says, Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall not worship any other God, pause really quick. 
Do you realize that God is looking at this whole thing and says, okay, I'll do it. I, I will respond according to my nature. But here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm commanding. Here's what I'm declaring. You are not to have other gods. You, you want me to take you as my possession? I will. But now you can't go off to other gods. You, you can't mess around with the stuff of the culture around you. And, and look at this. He says, For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord, Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they will play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods. God says, I will take you as my possession. I will take you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. But that is going to mean that you have to have an exclusive devotion with me. Which is why Moses repeats this, which we looked at at the very beginning of the series, in the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6, when Moses is recounting this whole thing, he says that Yahweh is our God. He has taken us as his possession. And now we must have an exclusive devotion with him, and we are to love him with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our souls. That, that, that there should be a consuming, overwhelming reality of everything that we are and all that we have should be in this exclusive devotion to him that our hearts our minds our souls our might our our talent our our possessions all of it belongs to him now and we get this we are his possession and he is our possession and in the middle of this god says do you know what my name is look at this again for you shall not worship any other god for yahweh whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God says, do you know what my name is? And again, name is not just a name. A name is a revelation of character and attribute and nature stuff. God says, I am so jealous that my name is Jealous. Isn't that an awkward statement? God is Jealous. That is his name. In fact, this idea shows up five times throughout the Old Testament. Let me just read them to you really quickly. Exodus chapter 20, this is in the context of the Ten Commandments. It says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness, hesed, to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. God says, I am a jealous God. In Exodus 34, this is our passage. Again, for you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4, 24. For the Lord, your God, is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 5, 9. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God. And Deuteronomy 6, 14 through 15. It says, you shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. <clears throat> For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. God is a jealous God. And here's, here's the statement that really got me thinking. Because 
when I heard this, I was like, what? Here's Dan's statement. Ready for this? Where would we be if God wasn't jealous? Now, I, I don't know what you think of when you hear jealousy, but when I hear jealousy, I think of something negative. In fact, that is the normal cultural construct. That, that jealousy has actually gotten a very bad, it's, it's a bad attribute. It's a very negative thing in your life that you should just, you should avoid. Often we associate it with envy or with anger, right? The envy is that idea, it's a, here's a simple definition, it's an ardent desire to gain a possession or something that you currently don't possess. So when I envy something, oh, I really want that over there. And so a lot of times we, we associate jealousy with that. That I, I am jealous of what that person over there has, or I'm jealous of that experience over there. But what's interesting is, or maybe to add on to that, when you look at jealousy in Scripture, and this idea that God is jealous, it's interesting when, when you look at the, a lot of the commentaries, when you look at a lot of the books about the attributes of God, either A, they won't mention this one, God is holy, God is love, God is righteous. Let's just ignore the jealousy one. <laughs> And it's probably because we don't know what to do with it. And if it is mentioned, it's often portrayed in a very negative light. And, and, and basically the idea is, well, in fact, let me give you a summary statement here. Jealousy is often seen as a negative attribute and often the result of a personal and or relational insecurity. So as such, we presume that God must be an insecure and likely an abusive God. That is our modern construct, even in the church. That, that if God is jealous, well, then he must be really insecure and probably rather abusive because that's how we act when we're jealous. But get this. Here's how I try to summarize all this. But godly jealousy, whether in God or humans, is not a negative, but rather a positive attribute. Without godly jealousy, we easily become passive, and thus prone to idolatry, adultery, and other threats to our relationships. Jealousy <clears throat> is absolutely essential in relationship. Or there is a great threat to that relationship that will cause it to crumble. Which I want to flesh out. Uh, the word jealousy, <clears throat> when you look at it through Scripture, it's, it's, it shows up approximately about 90 times throughout the Bible. And of those 90 times or so, 64 of them, jealousy is spoken in a very positive way. Now, there is, there is negative jealousy. We understand that. But, but 64 times in Scripture, jealousy is mentioned in the positive. 46 of those, of the 64, it's humans having a good jealousy, a godly jealousy. And they're commended for having a good, godly jealousy. Now, I don't know what you want to do with that, but that's a little awkward because we've often come to jealousy with this very negative connotation. And again, if you see jealousy as a, oh no, very bad, evil kind of thing, well, that's going to be an issue. Now, in Hebrew, this idea of jealousy can, is both a noun and an adjective, which is why it makes sense that God can have the attribute of jealousy, and yet that's also his name, he is jealous. So look at this again. In Exodus 34, <clears throat> God says, You shall not worship any other God. You are to have no other affection. You are not to pursue the culture around you. Why? 
For the Lord, Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Uh, we've talked about this before, but that name Yahweh or Jehovah speaks of the I amness of our God. That he was, he is, and he forever will be the same. And he's tying that name Yahweh with this idea of jealousy. He says, here I am, Yahweh. And I, as Yahweh, my name is Jealous, for I am a God of jealousy. So what he's saying is that he has been jealous, he is jealous, he forever will be jealous. Isn't that fascinating? What are you going to do with that? So in order to maybe help rectify our idea of jealousy, let's look at more of like a, a literal understanding of it. Here's this idea of jealousy. This is so profound to me. Jealousy is the ardent desire to maintain an exclusive devotion within a relationship in the face of a challenge to that exclusive relationship. Get this again. It's an ardent desire. It's an overwhelming passion to have and maintain and guard an exclusive devotion within a relationship, even though that exclusive devotion is being threatened from something on the outside. Envy is desiring something that you don't have. But biblical jealousy is wanting to guard that which you do have. Does that make sense? God isn't envious. He doesn't need anything that you have. He's God. But then why is he jealous? He's jealous because he does have something. And he's very guarded that no threat comes against that. Well, what is it that he has? He has an exclusive devotion to you. You are his possession. Isn't it interesting? Moses says, will you take us as your possession? And it's like God says, sure. But you can't have other gods. Because when you go after other gods, they are a threat to our covenantal relationship. You and I have an exclusive relationship. You and I have an exclusive covenantal devotion to one, one to each other. And when you pursue the gods, when you pursue idolatry, when you go out and profane yourself with the culture, it is actually a threat to what I have with you. And I'm jealous, says the Lord. I will protect what I have. So if there is a threat that comes against my relationship, I will stop that. Do you know how phenomenal that is? So, in this idea of jealousy, it requires a relationship, and it requires some of this idea of possession. So, here are some requirements of jealousy. You ready for this? In order to have biblical jealousy, you need a lover, you need a beloved, you need a covenant relationship, which is usually marked by love, and you have a threat or a violation of a threat to that covenant. So you have a lover, you have the one whom he loves, you have a covenant relationship between the two of them, and then you have a threat. And when you have a threat against the covenant exclusive devotion between a lover and their beloved, do you realize what should happen is that jealous, jealousy should rise up within the lover and say, I refuse to allow that threat to come between me and my beloved. 
And that lover should absolutely guard and protect that covenantal relationship with absolutely everything that they have. Why? Because there's a threat. Are you getting this? So here's the idea of jealousy. Here's the question behind it. Will I rise up and protect the relationship? That's the question of jealousy. So if I'm a lover and I have a beloved and we have a covenantal relationship and it's just marked by love and now there's a threat to that, what should I do? Get rid of the threat. Why? Because I am jealous over this covenantal relationship, over this love that I have. Why would I let anything get in the middle of this? So let's look at God. God is jealous. And this is a good thing. The fact that God is jealous is absolutely astounding. It is phenomenal. Why? Because he is going to guard and protect the relationship he has with you. He does not want other lovers of your soul. He does not want the things of this world to distract you. So when there are things that are pulling and grasping for you, he will rise up and say, no, I I can't have that in your life. I'm going to stand against that. Does that make any sense? Maybe for the sake of a simple illustration, imagine here's a husband and a wife. Could you imagine, here is this man who is starting to be entertained by thoughts of other women. And yet, there is this love relationship between the husband and a wife. And if this wife sees the husband starting to engage, whether it is in pornography or an adulterous affair, do you realize that the woman should be jealous? Why? Because that is a threat to her bond and her covenantal relationship with her man. So there should be something that rises up and says, no, you can't do this. If the the husband sees the woman starting to flirt with another guy, there should be a pain of jealousy. Now, it's not coming out of selfishness. It's not coming out of meanness and and that kind of stuff. But it, it is a guardedness. It's a protection about the relationship. And the jealousy is fueled by love. Do you realize that God has that? That God has a covenantal relationship with his people, and as such, he wants to guard and protect that. That that he longs for you to be faithful to him. So think about this. God is glorified by your faithfulness, by your exclusive devotion to him, by you finding joy and fulfillment and life in him and him alone. So therefore... He is going to respond with jealousy whenever you walk in unfaithfulness. So, if there is unfaithfulness between a husband and a wife, we call that adultery. And that may be an actual relationship. That also may be an emotional thing. That could also be a visual thing like like lust or pornography. That, That when one of the spouses engages in this allurement with something else other than the spouse, we call that biblically adultery. Isn't that correct? When you take that into the realm of the spiritual realm, when there is unfaithfulness between God and his people, biblically, that's called adultery or idolatry. And you see that language all throughout, specifically the prophets. One of the biggest things that the prophets are proclaiming throughout the prophetic books is not foretelling stuff. 
they are foretelling certain things. But the prophets are not merely foretelling. They are the mouthpiece of God. And the primary message, ponder this, the primary message of the prophets in the Old Testament is repent, return, come back. And again, they're the mouthpiece of the Lord, meaning God is speaking to the prophets saying, look, you have, you have gone another direction. You, you are prostituting yourself with the world. You are committing adultery against me. You are, you are wrapping yourself up in the idols around you. And th- that is an offense to this relationship because you are my possession and, and I am your possession and we are in a covenantal bond together and I have made covenant with you and we are in this exclusive devotion. And now you're breaking that. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing that God never breaks that covenantal, exclusive devotion with us? And yet how easily we are prone to the things of this world, the things that replace him, the things that just allure our hearts and our minds. And when there is a threat to that, God says, I can't have that in you, that unfaithfulness. Because here you are, you are are committing harlotry, prostitution with the world around you. You are looking at something other than me to meet your needs. And biblically, again, that's called adultery or idolatry. And both those terms are used to talk about God's people. And you don't, all you have to do is like read Hosea. And you, you have God asking this prophet to marry a prostitute. And in so doing, in this crazy story, God says, now, Hosea, you know how I feel. Because now you are actually filled with a genuine love for this woman named Gomer, Gomer and she keeps running and prostituting herself with the world. She keeps selling herself back into prostitution. And God says, Hosea, that's how I feel. Because I have a genuine love and a relationship with my people, my bride. But they keep going after the foreign gods and they keep prostituting themselves and they keep committing adultery and idolatry with this world. Hosea, that's how I feel. And God says, I am jealous about that. I am jealous over you because I'm in an exclusive relationship with you. What are you doing? So God says that he is jealous to the extent, think about this, he is so jealous that it is now his name. He is love. Again, jealousy is motivated by love. Jealousy is tied to this idea of love and relationship. And God is love, we are told throughout Scripture. So when anything attempts to bring a threat against his covenantal love, out of a pure, good, and godly jealousy, he's going to rise up, judge, and remove the threat. Well, God's a God of justice and wrath. I know. Why? Because he's a God of love. And he can't have anything threatening that relationship. So take it to another level. Because jealousy is a part of his character and his nature, and now he lives inside of us via the enjoyment of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't it also be a part of our nature? In other words, we are to stand against any threat to the purity and the simplicity of devotion to Christ. You are called to be jealous. Not envious. You're not to be jealous of what you're not having. You're to be content. But you are to be jealous over one thing, relationship. 
A husband and a wife should have jealousy in their relationship. It helps guard and protect the relationship. If a husband doesn't have jealousy over his wife, do you realize if he's passive in his relationship, then it actually allows that, the foundation of that relationship to begin to crumble. It's on sand. And any threat to that relationship can actually tear down that marriage. So it's actually good for a husband and a wife to have jealousy for their marriage. As a Christian, you should have jealousy over your relationship with God. You should not allow anything in your life to, to distract you from the exclusive and simple and pure devotion to Jesus. And if there is something coming in your life that is a threat to your spiritual soul, to your spiritual growth, to your intimacy with Jesus, then as a person in covenant with God, you should rise up and say, no, I cannot have this in my life. That giant should not have a voice in my soul. That habit or that addiction or that whatever shouldn't reside in my life. There's some great examples of this throughout Scripture. And uh, we don't have time to go through a lot of them, uh, but you can just start walking through the Old and New Testaments and you start seeing these pictures of godly jealousy. Let me just give you a couple really quick. Phineas. Phineas! This guy! What do you do with this guy? Uh, we talked about him a few weeks ago in the uh, 1 Corinthians 10 series. But, but listen to this in, in Numbers 25. This is so intense. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought near to his brothers a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, so this is the grandson of Aaron, the priest saw it. And so he arose from the midst of the congregation, took a spear in his hand, went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through, the man and the woman through the body. And the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. What do you call that? Godly jealousy. Here is a man mocking God. Here's a man who, in the sight of all of Israel, says, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to do what I want, and I'm going to indulge in sexual perversion in the, in the sight of all of Israel. And Phineas goes, no, you're not. No, 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 no. We are God's possession. We are in exclusive relationship with him. This is not to happen. There was a threat against the relationship. So what does Phineas do? He gets a spear and removes the threat. Gulp. Now, that's Old Testament. You are not to take a spear and start killing people. Okay? What's happening in the physical of the Old Testament is now to happen in the internal spiritual reality of your life now. It's an example. It is a picture of something. You do not let threats against the relationship, the covenantal relationship with God, to go unchecked. You deal with the threats. Do you know that Phineas is actually praised for this? He's actually spoken as highly as Moses and David. He is commended for this act. In fact, look, look at this. David says this in Psalm 106. Speaking of Israel, it says that they joined themselves to Belpeor and they ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger and their actions and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas, listen how this says this, then Phineas stood and interceded. He stood in the gap. He dealt with something. 
So the plague was checked, and it was counted to him for righteousness from generation to generation forever. Do you realize that this act of Phineas is actually counted to him as righteousness? Paul, we read this the other day, Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 10 and says, now, uh, do not let, sorry, nor let us act in sexual immorality as some of them did, speaking of this whole scene. And 23,000 fell in one day, speaking of Phineas. He's using that illustration, the sexual perversion and Phineas rising up. And then he says, now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction. Do you realize that the Phineas thing thing the whole story is a picture an example of how you are to live your christian life that when there is a threat against the covenantal relationship that you have with god you are to rise up and deal with that threat look at david david comes to the valley of elah goliath is boasting interestingly saul calls goliath a man and a warrior do you know what david says about goliath he says this, 1 Samuel 17, 26. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, what will be done for the man who strikes down this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should reproach, some translations say defy, the battle lines, the armies of the living God? Do you hear how David's talking? He goes, who is this? He is threatening our God. He is mocking the living God. He is standing against the armies of God. And why isn't anybody doing this? There is a threat to the covenantal relationship we have with God. Someone needs to stand up and do something about this. But no one, no one, no one did anything. So what does David do? Fine. I will deal with it. I will bring this down and I will stop the approach coming against God. I will stop the very thing that is defying the armies of the living God. And David marches out as a little kid, takes a sling and a stone, hits Goliath, cuts his head off, and says, there. That's amazing! What if you did that to every threat that comes against you and God? And every giant of your soul, lust, fear, pride, envy, whatever it may be, what if you looked at every threat, every sin, every temptation as a threat to your covenantal bond, your exclusive devotion to him, anything that's going to cause you not to love him with everything you are and everything you have must be dealt with. Not in your strength, but in his. Jesus is a solution. But you need to be jealous over your relationship with God. He is jealous over his relationship with you. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, for I am jealous for you. God, Paul had a godly jealousy for us. Well, for, for those in Corinthians, by extension, all believers. But Paul says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, so that I may present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul says, You know what I've done? I, I, I've introduced you. Oh, dear Corinthians, I've introduced you to the lover of your soul, and now you're in this covenantal relationship with him. And I have a godly jealousy that I do, not, I do not want anything to stand in the middle of that. So as I'm looking at you, oh dear Corinth, I am seeing things that are, that are a threat. You're wrapped up in idolatry. 
you're wrapped up in adultery. You have all this twistedness in your lives. Paul says, I can't stand that in you. Why? Because it is in the middle of the covenantal relationship that you are supposed to have with God. And then he says this, but I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Do you realize that you're supposed to have a simple, pure devotion to Jesus and nothing is to get into the middle of that? Do you have a godly jealousy over that? Do, do you have a godly jealousy over the, or over the church today? That when you look at the modern day church and you, you see her prostituting herself with the world and actually looking more like the world than, than, than like God, when you, when you look at the modern church and you, you see this idolatry and adultery, does that cause a stirring within us? Because I have to admit, I'm kind of like, well, God needs to change that. Yeah, the church has problems. And there's not this burn that's like, God, this can't happen. See, if, I, if I'm actually walking in jealousy, there would be an overwhelming burden where I would be spending time in prayer saying, God, you've got to purify your bride. You've got to change this. You've got to bring revival. You just, you've got to do something. Why? Because there is a threat against your bride. But isn't it interesting how passive we are in our own lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, and we just willingly embrace every threat that comes against us. If we don't stand against the threats, if a husband doesn't stand against the threat of this guy trying to take his wife, do you realize that marriage is in jeopardy? He needs a godly jealousy for the sake of his marriage. We need godly jealousy for the sake of our families. We desperately need a godly jealousy for the sake of our church the body of Christ. But we need to start with a jealousy for our relationship with God and not allow a single threat to stand, to get in the middle, to distract us from that pure and simple devotion we have with Christ. We need to be jealous against every threat of idolatry in our souls. Again, jealousy, it's, it's this ardent desire to maintain an exclusive devotion you are willing to do whatever it takes to maintain that exclusive devotion even in the face of an opposition a threat to it the requirements you need a lover you need a beloved you need a covenantal relationship marked by love and there's a threat do you realize that you have a lover of your soul you are called his beloved Isaiah says he's rejoicing over you like a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. But there is tremendous threat in our day and age against that relationship. That we are called to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our mights. And yet there is threat against that love. There are all these distractions trying to pull us and woo us and, and tempt us away from the one in whom we are to love. That there, there's all these distractions in the culture that are pulling us to say hey just engage in this and just do this and and just be distracted here and just entertain yourself over here and just what if i asked myself this question about jealousy will i rise up and protect my relationship with jesus 
because he is jealous and he wants it protected. He's guarded. He's bringing conviction. He is purifying. And I can't, as the beloved, I can't just keep running off to the world. I can't keep doing the very thing that Gomer did. Yes, he forgives us. Praise the Lord for that. But do you realize that we are not meant to live in adultery and idolatry with the world? We are to have an exclusive devotion with Jesus Christ. So jealousy, for God's, what, what is the thing, the thing about this for you? What if you were jealous for God's name, his character, his reputation, and his honor? If we were jealous for God in our lives, do you realize that it will cause us to be extremely devoted to Christ? That you would be profoundly pure? That you would be deeply humble? That you would increase in holiness? That you wouldn't wander and pursue other gods or affections? That, that if you were actually jealous over your relationship, and nothing could get between you and Jesus, could you imagine the kind of relationship with Jesus you could have? You would have a very deep and intimate walk with him. You would walk in purity and holiness. You would walk in triumph and victory. Why? Because any threat is a threat to that relationship. So you, you deal with it. You walk in obedience. You let God begin to deal with the giants of your soul because they are threatening your relationship. We've defined idolatry this way. It's looking to anyone or anything besides Jesus to meet my needs. Can I ask you, just afresh, is there anything that you are turning to besides Jesus to meet your needs? What are those habits, those addictions, those giants of our souls that keep distracting you? Would you be willing, maybe I'll say it this way, would you be jealous and guard against any and every threat to your relationship with Christ? Would you be willing to stand and say, Lord, I, I need jealousy in my life. I need a godly jealousy that actually sees the threat as a threat. So would you put a burden in my heart to keep and maintain this exclusive devotion with you? And Lord, anything that is idolatrous, anything that is adulterous in my, in my heart, and my mind, would you root it out and remove it? Because I can't have it. And would you begin to let him deal with you afresh? Let's pray. Jesus, oh, we need you. Lord, could you hit a reset button on jealousy and let us realize that it is not the negative bad thing that we've always thought it was? That actually in relationship, jealousy is absolutely needful and essential. It is so beautiful and beneficial. Lord, we, are, we need jealousy. We need jealousy in our marriages. We need jealousy over our families. Lord, I think one of the reasons why the church is so weak and passive today is we are not jealous over the church. And that those you have called to lead and shepherd the church are just so so passive. Lord, if we were jealous and we saw threats coming against our, our local flocks, if we, if we were actually jealous and we saw the threats of this world coming against your bride, we would do something about it. We would say something. We, would, we wouldn't just allow the, the ruckus and the chaos to, to continue. Lord, Lord, we desperately need jealousy in our relationship with you. Lord, thank you that you are jealous. 
As Dan said, where would we be if you weren't jealous? It was because of your jealousy that you sent Jesus. It was because of your jealousy that you endured the cross and all the shame because there was a threat against the relationship that you had with your people, and it was sin. And so you dealt with that threat on the cross so that you and I could have this exclusive, intimate relationship. Lord, don't let me pull the gomer. Having been bought by Hosea and having everything provided for her, yet kept going back and selling herself over and over and over again into prostitution. Lord, I, I do not want to participate in idolatry. I do not want to participate in the adultery of this world. Lord, I, I do not want to go after anyone or anything outside of you to meet my needs. Lord, could I be your possession? And as such, Jesus, could we get so tight in a covenantal, exclusive devotion and relationship that, that you would be jealous over me? And could I see this whole thing in such a way where you, where you just stir up a jealousy within me that maintain that relationship? that I would guard and protect and I would not allow anything in my life that's going to pull me from that relationship. But Lord, I can't do this on my own. I, I can't do this outside of you. So Lord, I just freshly admit I'm, I'm desperate for you today. I am so needful for you. But Lord, thank you that you are a, a jealous God whose name is Jealous. And that flows because you are, that flows out of the reality that you are a God of love. And you long for deeper, more intimate relationship with us. Lord, purify your bride. Remove every threat. Not just corporately as, as the body of Christ, but individually as, our, as, as believers. Lord, we do love you. Give you all the praise and the glory in your precious name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.